Welcome, everybody. Um, episode four now of Somewhat Relatable. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do with this podcast and in, in this episode in particular and all the episodes moving forward is, is find something that the audience and the listeners can relate to. So something that they can kind of implement into their lives and, 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 and take moving forward. Um, and, and I am just recently graduating college um, from Fairfield University out in Connecticut. And I had a, I had a lot of experiences, and um, there were there were so many good things, and and some bad things, and there's some things that I somewhat related to, and things that I didn't relate to. So that's kind of the the goal with this podcast is we want to give uh, content that people can relate to, and and kind of implement in their lives, and 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 use it moving forward. And uh, we'll be having a guest every single week. Um, and it's my pleasure this week to have a guest who um, is, is my current mentor. He's helped me through so, so much. And um, he's uh, just, a, just a wonderful, wonderful guy, awesome guy. And um, he's actually uh, been my basketball coach for many years. And, uh, and he's also started 11 businesses, believe it or not. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to get into um, with this podcast today. And so I'm excited to, to have him on. How are you doing, coach? I'm good. How are you? Nice to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. You too. How's uh, how's your quarantine experience been? Well, it's uh, really quiet. Yeah. Very very quiet. I'm I'm used to being super busy, and now I'm just busy. Yeah, that's good. And uh, and uh, I, I kind of had some questions for you today, if if you didn't mind, um, just kind of oh, about no um, about the businesses that you started, and kind of maybe your background a little bit, and and um, all that type of stuff. Um, so first we know you started, is it, that's 11 businesses, correct? Well, I just recently started my 12th, but yes. Okay. Like really, really stupid number. Yeah, that's crazy. So, um, what's the reason that you think you've started so many of these businesses and kind of what, what motivates you to do that? Well, hmm, I don't know where to begin. I'd say my first 10 businesses. The first 10 businesses I started out of fear, mm. and the last two I have started out of purpose. Interesting. So, so, you know, without, without just going as deep as you'd like, what, the first two businesses, what, what was kind of your fear of, you know, what, what made you, you know, start those businesses out of fear? No, the first 10. Oh, the first fear, the, 10. Oh, yeah, oh the first okay. The 10 were out of fear. The last, the last two were out of purpose. I, you know, I think, um. I grew up, uh, I, I was raised with my grandparents, mm-hmm. and I grew up um, in a refinery town where nobody went to college and everybody followed their dads in the refinery when, mm-hmm. when and if they got out of high school. And so um, educate, the idea of education and, um, you know, that, that whole track, that whole professional track wasn't something that I had context for. Um, I, don't, I only knew one person in high school whose parent actually had a college degree so it just it wasn't that type of of upbringing we didn't talk about school much at home um the report card was ours it had our name on it so uh however we did we did our parents weren't very vested um and whether or not you know education just wasn't a big thing hard work was definitely a big emphasis growing up but Mm -hmm. not education um but 
I was fortunate enough to get a college scholarship, uh, which is the only reason I went to college. I yeah. never aspired for an education. I was a really good student, but it, you know, I just assumed I would go into the refineries. But um, I, I was uh, blessed enough to have an opportunity to go play college basketball, and that's why I went to college. And um, so yeah. I went to college, and then I was a point guard, Division One point guard, and got a real taste for leadership and running things. And um, I think how all that relates to fear is, you know, I, the first 10 businesses I was running away from the scarcity that I translated from my childhood. Now, mm. the truth is we had plenty. Um, we didn't have abundance, but we had plenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I translated it as, as scarcity. And I think in that scarcity, um, you know, I, I kind of adopted a not enoughness. Mm. Um, and then that not enoughness, I wanted to be more than enough. And business was a good outlet for that. Okay. Also, yeah. you know, I had some abandonment issues. Since, as I told you, I was raised with my grandparents. So I did have some abandonment issues. And I thought, well, you know, the beauty of being an employer versus an employee is that, you know, people need a job and so maybe they won't leave you Mm. or give up on you. So uh, it just really, you know, like I said, the first 10 businesses, my motivation was really about proving that I was enough. Yeah. So in that um, idea of of proving you were enough, what what was the, the first one that you started, like the very first business um, when you were kind of, um, maybe for lack of a better term, um, I mean, like you said, not feeling like you were enough. What, what was the first business that, that helped you kind of, um, run away from that in your, in your mind, I would say. Well, the first business I started was not one of the 12. The first business I started was when I was in elementary school Mm. and, um, on Fridays, you could go to the local drugstore and buy 10 candy bars for a dollar. Mm. And um, our allowance, we had we got allowance every two weeks. We got a dollar 25 uh, for allowance every two weeks. And on that Friday, I would ride my bicycle to the local drugstore and buy 10 candy bars with a dollar of it. And then I would take them back to my neighborhood and I would sell them for a quarter apiece. Um, Hmm. and so that was my first taste of, wow, I'm actually making my own money. Um, so that was my first business. And the reason I started it was because it, it gave me, it gave me, it wasn't a thing of street cred back in the day, but it was, people wanted to see me. They would always, I mean, do you have a candy bar? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to the store and it's not Friday. And so, you know, people needed me and it was really I think it's 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 when I got my first taste of mattering to other people, Mm. and that was kind of cool. Yeah, and I I I think I think as as kids sometimes we all search for that. I know I know I searched for that in basketball early on a lot, and um, so yeah, that's 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 really interesting. And and um, do you think you kind of had along with you know feeling like others others needed you? Do you think you kind of had a mind for that kind of thing early on? You know, when you say early on, you're talking about my childhood. No, I, I think I was so broken up inside, Landon. I just very traumatized as a young boy, and and I translated it worse than it was. Yeah, I translated it worse than it was. I mean, looking 
my age now, in my 60s, looking back, I probably, you know, my little my little spirit was so wounded mm. that, and my 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 mental ability to translate it, I couldn't find a way to neutralize it. So instead, I horribleized it, mm. and I carried that with me for decades. I mean, literally decades yeah. into my you know late 40s. So. When you say horribleized it, what 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 exactly do you mean by that? Well, I think when you know I'm a child of divorce, um, and I think it's it was really easy for me to say what's wrong with me. Mm. You know, you don't you, it, you know your your parents are like you know they're superhuman, so you would never think that something's wrong with your parents when you're like four years old or mm-hmm. five years old. You wouldn't think that something's wrong with your parents. You internalize it. You assume that there's something wrong with you. Now, you may not do it at four, but by the time you're 10, which is when it occurred to me, you, 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 it's, people are really inclined to thinking, I did something. If you've ever been around a 10-year-old, you know, the world is really revolves around them. Yeah. And so, you know, although this happened at three or four in, um, you know, my life, three or four years old, it was about 10 where I put it all together. It's like, wow, something is wrong with me. Hmm. I'm broken and I'm not enough. And then, of course, remember, I'm raised by my grandparents who their definition of parenting was roof, clothes, food, public school. Yeah. If they provide all those things, then that is what parenting is. And you know, my dad was, yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the, it's very different than, you know, this generation's parenting like where we know everything a lot of what's going on with our kids yeah especially when they're 10 and we're really keenly aware of all their emotions my grand emotions weren't a currency we traded in it just mm. wasn't something that they really cared about if they would never notice that we were sad and even if they did they would say you know grab a broom sweep up yeah so it just it wasn't a, it wasn't that 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 generation just wasn't, they didn't parent that way. And so do you think that the, the, the generation these days where parents know the emotions of every single, every single emotion of their child, do you think that it maybe has gone a little bit too far and they haven't found a balance in terms of, you know, you know, too far to the right or left? Yeah. You know, I, Landon, I wish I had a nickel for every time I told a parent of one of my players the struggle you're trying to insulate your child from may be the exact struggle they need mm. to develop the character they were intended to have. I wish I had a nickel for every time I've said that to a parent. Um, I won't say it's better or worse, time's going to tell, but I know this, is that in a span of about one generation, we've made children the center of the household. Mm. And if you go back anthropolo- anthropologically, for generations, the children were never the center of the household. And I think what I've observed as a coach is the pressure that is on children to perform so that their parents will feel good about their parenting is Mm. so incredibly high that the kids move come into high school almost predisposed to anxiety. Yeah. And then you add the pressures of high school possibly athletics or theater or music Mm -hmm. or academics and then the requirement almost in some communities that they must 
not just go to college, but go to the best college. I don't know how kids make it. It's the pressure is just is stifling. Yeah, never, and, yeah. We never experienced that growing up ever. Yeah, any and, pressure that any pressure that we experienced, we put on ourselves because what we were striving for mattered to us, not to our parents, but to us. Yeah, and that that's just a different world right now. And and think about this, that. Along with those pressures of being the center of the household, I did I did a, a research paper about this the last part of school. Think about the pressures of social media and Instagram, how that affects the mind because you're constantly comparing yourselves to other people's highlight reels. Yeah, yeah. So that just adds to the pressure of like I'm not doing as good as as my peer here, but the, in reality, it's like they just post the best things that happen in life. Like it's it, it's it's a different world in the day-to-day atmosphere of life. And so I think... And, and, and the parents have their own social media accounts mm. who are watching other parents put their children up on a pedestal, and it makes the parent go, well, wait a second, my child might be behind. I need to push my child more. And this is all rolling downhill on the kids. Yeah. And that's the tough part for me is because I'm dealing with... with with kids that are 14 to 18 that that are struggling to behave developmentally mm-hmm. like last generation's 14 to 18 year olds. They, they look the same. They look like they're 14 to 18 on the outside. Mm-hmm. But inside the inner workings of them, they're lagging behind because so much of their life has been curated. Mm, and that's, that's tough for me as a parent and as a coach to watch that. But I also know that's a sociological issue, right? Our society has made a decision that this is the way, this is what we want to prioritize. And so the report card hasn't been written yet, uh, but if this were midterm, I would say that, you know, we, we as parents, I'll include myself in this list, uh, we as parents may not have done as well as we were hoping. Yeah. In our, in our parental duties. We've just hovered too much. We have micromanaged too much. We have enabled our children. We've kept them artificially buoyant. Uh, and really what they need to learn is to hold their breath a little bit. Hmm. Right? It's okay if their head goes under. They, they instinctively know how to hold their breath and move their arms and legs, and they instinctively will actually come to the surface. Yeah. I think we're so, we're so frightened of their discomfort. We... We really struggle well, with that. So one thing that, that I've been kind of implementing in my life lately, and one thing that, that you always told me, if I'm not mistaken, is sometimes you got to seek out the discomfort in yeah. your life. And so I'm thinking, and even on, on the smaller levels as well as the bigger levels. So like, for instance, while I was in this quarantine, I was like, I'm getting too comfortable. And when I have to go back out into the world and start, you know, working out with trainers or I didn't know back then if I had to try out for an overseas team or not I was like I'm getting too comfortable and I'm not going to be able to make a good transition so I was like I have to keep myself uncomfortable I would take like cold showers and like run around the track and do some conditioning and make sure I was like still my brain was still active and I think that can translate into the bigger parts of life as well as like these kids are their parents and it's like they don't really under know any better because their parents like you don't like you said you don't think anything's wrong with your parents when you're growing up for the most part and it's like you know yeah i I think of it landing like molting 
decide if you could actually interview uh, any animal that molts, let's say a snake. If you could put a microphone up to, up to the snake's mouth during the process of molting, I suspect the, the snake would say, this hurts. It really, really hurts. Yeah. My skin is too tight for me. It really, really hurts. Uh, I, I want it to stop. Please make it stop. Uh, but once the, the, the skin is gone, if you can interview the snake, the snake would go, wow, I feel really naked right now. I feel really naked because this new skin is really tender and everything I crawl over, I can feel it and it hurts and I don't want to move as fast. But you interview him a week later or a month later, he's going to go, wow, this feels so much better. Mm -hmm. and that to me is what growth is about. It's learning to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And until an individual can do that, they're going to struggle to grow. They just will. And I see it on the basketball court. I see it in my own family. I see it with myself. Yeah. What I, res what I resist persists. Mm. And so that, that building a tolerance for discomfort is a real, it's a maturity thing. And if you can do that, I think you're going to see the rewards from it. Yeah. And so, Talking about discomfort and, and managing that, I'm sure there's a, a ton of work with these businesses. And so is that one of the ways you manage all the work? And, and, and how do you manage all the work behind the businesses themselves? Because I'm sure there's a lot to do. Well, I, you know, yeah, don't be, don't, don't be, don't be confused by the number. But I'm not running Exxon over here. <laughs> um, yeah. These are small to medium-sized businesses that uh, I either uh, start or invest in or control that um, are manageable with one person. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's not like I've got millions of people working for me. Um, uh, I've, I've lived that life. You know, I've had payroll and I've had lots of people working for me and as I've gotten older, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably better in, in, in smaller businesses where I can handle them all by myself. So the businesses that I'm currently managing are a part of or, you know, have a voice in or a partnership in yeah. um, are, are at, at a level that I can manage them if I'm really efficient with my day. Okay. So speaking of being efficient with your day, if, if, if you could walk us through kind of your daily routine, kind of maybe when you wake up, what you do, and then, you know, how the, how the work unfolds uh, throughout the day. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good question. You know, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I'm somewhere between an army sergeant and an artist. Mm. There's somewhere in that gray area in between. I think people that know me would say I'm very disciplined and very structured, but I think if you actually looked at my calendar, if you, if you spent a day with me and then you spent a second day, you'd go, huh, those aren't really that much alike. Um, here are the huh. things that I yeah. do, here are the things that I do do, and I, I discipline myself to do that. I, I go, to, I, I have quiet time. That's somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half a day. I discipline myself to do that. Now, that hour to hour and a half may not, based on my schedule, always to always be at the very first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And it may not be 90 consecutive minutes. It may be 30 minutes uh, of, you know, of just listening to worship music, um, 30 
Bible and 30 minutes in prayer. And those those three 30-minute blocks may be spread out throughout mm-hmm. the day. I found that I'm usually way more productive if I can get them in early. The other thing I discipline myself is five days a week. I go to the gym. I, you know, I, I uh, try to stay cardiovascularly uh, active. Mm-hmm. So I spend about an hour a day, little, little weight routine and some cardiovascular work. I do that five days a week. And the rest of my day during basketball season, I have to leave for the gym at 2.15. So the rest of my day is, is meetings, uh, calls, or office work. And that, that's super fluid. I try not to work after dinner, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, but those, but those are the major buckets, Landon, that I have to accomplish in a day. And then some days I'm super efficient, and some days I'm like, oh gosh, I should have done that. I, I was a little sloppy there. Mm-hmm. I, I reserve Sunday. I don't. I don't do any work on Sunday. I try to. I try to recognize the Sabbath um, and keep that day holy, and um, just try to keep that day holy. Yeah. Yeah. So I try not to do any work. That, now I'm working around the house. Right, that's laundry and kitchen and around the farm, and mm-hmm. I'm definitely working that way. But in my vocation, the ways I earn money, I I, I I really try not to work on Sundays. Yeah. So, you know, taking us through this this um, uh, schedule that you have, you've always told me to have a system, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> how how? Because so many that's because so many things always fell through the cracks with you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. <laughs> so, so uh, you kind of just did, but how would you explain explain a system in general, and what and what is your system? You know, and I know you kind of explained it, but uh, if you yeah. could, you know. Well, you know, in the context of your question about me reminding you that you need a system, um. That's a little bit different than how I spend my day. So let me just tell you what I mean when I've told you all these years you need a system. Mm -hmm. I say that when something that that anybody is responsible for isn't getting done. Yeah. Right? And a system is a way to memorialize your responsibilities and to prioritize them. So when I say system, that's what I'm talking about. How are you memorializing the task that you're responsible for? And how are you prioritizing them? Okay, so, and both of those are important because if you're only doing the first one, you'll find, okay, I've memorialized all my tasks. I'm going to do the fun ones first, or I'm going to do the easy ones first. And then you get to the end of the day, and it's like, oh, crap, I haven't done the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's not enough to memorialize them. You also have to prioritize them. So for me, of course, I'm old school. Uh, I write things down. I don't use my phone mm-hmm. because I can write faster than I can text or type. Now, some people can text faster than they can write, and then you have to carry around another piece of paper, and no one wants to do that, so yeah. I get it. But the idea is that you have some place to memorialize the day's tasks uh, that you're responsible for, and that you put them in priority. And then here's the key point. Do the hardest or most important things first. Mm-hmm. And that is against everything in our nature as human beings. We want to do the easy, fun stuff first. Yeah. 
But I've found that if you'll do the harder, more important things first, how the level of stress you take off of yourself for that day allows you to enjoy the easy and fun stuff so much more. Yeah. Because when you flip that, when you flip that and you're doing stuff that's fun and easy, somewhere in the back of your head, you know that you're procrastinating on something that's important. And that dampens the joy you can feel for the fun stuff. Yeah. So man, there's nothing there's nothing like clearing your decks for the day, doing all of your hard stuff first and going, Wow, it's three o'clock. I've done all the hard stuff and now the rest of my day is just fun and I can really lean into the joy that's available <laughs> for doing the fun I'm stuff. I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited yeah. right now. Like I wanna yeah. I'm almost done with my stuff after this, you know? I know, right? <laughs> I wanna go on a so bike ride or something. Yeah. Yeah, then you can lean into that. Look, I've done all the things I'm responsible for that are important or difficult, and now I can just let myself go. Yeah. And and now work, the work, the tasks that you have that are easy and fun, they don't feel like work. They just feel like, wow, this is life. This is awesome. These are things I have to do, but they're either easy to do or they're low priority, and I've done all my hard stuff already today. Yeah, yeah. And And that's the system that I'm talking about. Yeah, and there's something that I've discovered is like when you wake up early and you get and you stick to your routine and and what you do and you accomplish the things you need to accomplish there's there's also this like sense of accomplishment that that feels really nice and you can't make that the ultimate thing but it does feel really good it feels like and then like you said the rest of the day is free but that sense of accomplishment is like like it feels like you're you're moving forward and us as humans especially in today's society is like we're all about moving forward and progress yeah. which which i think i like to think of it i like to think of it like a bike ride mm-hmm. right if you do the hard part of the ride first the part of the ride that's into the wind mm-hmm. once you make the turn Right now you have the tailwind on the back half of your day, and that's just sheer joy. Yeah. So always point your bike into the wind first. Do the hard part first, so the return will be just a blast. Yep, and and that takes a lot of discipline, though, to do that day in and day out. It does. It absolutely does. But like any other discipline, the more you do it, the more it becomes habit. The more mm-hmm. it becomes habit, the less you think about it, and then it's, then it's really just who you are. Yeah, and and I can relate that to um to to go into the to the gym every day because even though sometimes it may be unhealthy because I want to constantly be going to the gym and stuff like it's a part of me now where I feel like part of my day is missing if I didn't get some basketball skill work in or like or or do something of like that and it kind of has become my habit and, and and a part of me like you said. Um, which is, which is, uh, I think that's, that's a good thing. So I think if we make, if we habitualize, um, the good things, quote unquote, that we need to do, um, or the things that maybe move us forward or, or, you know, just kind of what we need to do with our business or whatever, it can really, uh, it can really be huge for us. And, and speaking, speaking of, um, uh, habitualizing stuff or having practices, I I know that you, you mentioned this a little bit before, but um, the question is, kind of, are you spiritual in any way? And if so, what are your beliefs? And and does this play? This is a long one. Does this play into your system and daily routine? And I know you kind of touched on that, but yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. 
I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, I, gosh, I wish I wish I could say I'm great at it. I, I probably mostly just suck at it. But man, I'm I'm really I'm really devoted to my faith. I try, I do, I try really mm-hmm. hard because I lived my life for decades my own way on my own terms, and um, and by the world's measurement, I should have been way more happy. Mm-hmm. I should have been way more happy. I, I've I've achieved what the world says, the things that should make me happy. But, you know, I got into my late 40s, and, man, it just, I got to the top of the mountain, and it was was covered with fog. Mm. And I've been thinking about the view for so many decades. Once I get to the top, then I'll be able to get this crazy view. And the, the day I summited, it was just everything was covered in clouds, mm. and so it was. Um, for me, Landon, I think faith is uh, is is such an individual thing for everybody. But if I were to try to describe my my faith journey, uh, I grew up in a religious heritage, and when I say religious, I mean a a religion that recognized God, but had a whole lot of man made traditions. Mm-hmm that you had to follow uh, and that you had to do these things in order to be acceptable to God. That's the, that's the heritage I grew up in. And man, I just recoiled from the, all, every concept of religion as a kid and we were made to go to church. I hated every second of it. The moment I left home for college, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Mm -hmm. And so it was, um, it was it was many many years before uh, I was open to anything spiritual, mm-hmm. and when I did become open to something spiritual, I, all I knew was I did not want religion. Yeah, I'd already experienced that, and that, there was nothing there for me. And uh, I got introduced to this idea that that it really your spiritual walk as a Christian, really isn't about religion. It's mm-hmm. not about a building. It's about a relationship. And this idea that, you know, that the creator of the universe came as a man to reconnect us back to God was an interesting concept to me because as a as a throwaway, as a kid that felt throw, thrown away, I couldn't imagine that someone would make that kind of sacrifice for me. So for me personally... I began a journey to figure out how could someone love someone else that much. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, I, I, I would, I can, I can with all confidence say that I enjoy a relationship with my Savior. And that's the, I can't imagine life without it. I honestly can. And, and you know, I, I know this, anything good that anyone has ever said or seen of me is what they're really seeing is him. Mm. And anything bad or or unsettling that anyone has experienced or seen, that's all me. Yeah, and and that that's that's amazing. Um, and I, I, when I explain my faith, I almost explain it the same exact way. And it's interesting yeah. because remember those days when you were coaching me, 
you would you would always say I got a I got a Bible verse for that or uh, you know that's why I go to church and I'd, be, I'd always be like no coach I don't I don't believe in any of that stuff um, and, and now I'm, I'm full blown you know I can't imagine life without Jesus Christ a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's funny that you mentioned the relationship piece that we often talk about is because I, I ran into a friend at the, the grocery store yesterday and um, I decided I had nothing else to do because, you know, there's nothing going on. So I was like, hey, I'll help you get some groceries. Uh, we'll both wear masks because that's, you know, that's what's going on. And we were just talking and uh, the topic came up. She said, do you have, uh, I know you're in Connecticut. Do you have a, a girlfriend? And I was like, no, actually, it's a, it's a funny story because she knew me in high school when I was totally different. And she was like, you probably went crazy down there in Connecticut. I was like, well, um, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually saving myself for marriage. And she was like, what? She was a little taken aback. I was like, yeah. And uh, um, to be honest with you, I, I really, I, I, for lack of a better term, I, I found God. And she's like, oh, interesting. You know, I, I know some people about that. And we kept talking and, and we decided to, after groceries, we sat down and had um, a nice tea or something. And she ended up admitting she's really triggered by the word God because she relates that to, to maleness and like male, uh, um, for what, what, what would you say? Male, uh, I don't know, dominance. Exactly. So yeah. she was and 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 she's like, Oh, and she knew people who were from Arkansas who said like hashtag believers and were like all about that. And, and she had seen all maybe, the stuff, the, the quote unquote wrong stuff about, you know, that people portray about the faith. That's really not correct in a sense. And I, t- I told her, I was like, you, you know, I, I really, I'm sorry that you're triggered by that word. And, and I, I understand it. And what I want to let you know is that it, it, it is completely about relationship. It is co- completely about relationship. And she was a little bit, she's like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's about relationship and, and love. And I was like, yeah, that that's, uh, that's pretty much it. And, and I think she, that helped her a little bit not be quite so triggered by the word. And, and I'm sure she's encountered people, like you said, who are all about the man-made traditions. In fact, that's what she said. And so it was very interesting that you bring that up and, and that I had that encounter yesterday. Yeah, it is. It, it's, but I think it's important for all of us to remember that, you know, when when we weren't believing the way we believe now, mm-hmm. God just met us right where we were, mm-hmm. right? He met us right where we were. Like when you were in high school, God met you right where you were. He didn't force you or require you to do anything. He just, he loved you right where you were, even though you didn't acknowledge him. Yeah. And I think that's important for us to remember when we come up contact with people who have a different faith system Mm -hmm. or no faith system at all right for we have the model of how to love people you love them right where they are and you realize this 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 spiritual quest if someone chooses to get on it may end in a very different place than yours they may never choose to get on it and 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 yet we're called because of a relationship with Jesus to love them exactly where they are with yeah. no judgment exactly where they are and I think if more Christians would read the Bible and realize actually what we're called to um, 
I think the world would be a lot better place. There, uh, you know, Christians have really hurt the faith mm. by how they've not loved their brothers and sisters. And you know, my my hope is that is that you know they'll be convicted to love others the way they've been loved. Yeah, that that's that's amazing. And she said. You know, some people from the the quote unquote Bible Belt would do hashtag believers and like look down on people like, oh, they're not a believer and stuff like that. And I was just like, if anybody looks down on someone else because they're not a believer, like that is not correct. Like, I want you to know yeah, that's not how it yeah, is. Yeah, that's, that's actually not biblical, is it? Not at all. Not at all. Not yeah. At all. Yeah. Thank goodness. You know, God still loved us even when we didn't think he was real. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's just important for us to love. You know, the, you can sum up the whole Bible in just two things. Love God, love others. It's that simple. It's, it's, it's that really, simple, yeah. Really, it's, it's really, really simple. If you think about it, loving God, that's relational. Loving others, that's relation. It's just about relationship. And so because we, um, we use as the central focus of our life our faith, Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that people that don't use our faith or any faith as a central focus can't be great love. Oh yeah, in and, in and fact, so yeah, I would argue that. that. Yeah, I, I would argue that. Um, you know, we we might have more of an abundance of love from yeah. from that relationship. Um, yeah, I know, I know, man. So it's true. Um, that's, uh, that's interesting, but what, so one question that comes to mind for me is if someone's listening to this and and they're saying, well, how in the world and how in the universe do I have a relationship with the creator of the universe? How in the world does that even happen? Like what, where do I start? I'm confused. What would you say to that person? I would say if this was a kid in high school that came to me and said, Hey coach, ask me that exact same question. I would point them toward a Bible teaching church. Okay. That's what I would do. Not not a not a a denomination like Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist. I w- I just send them to a Bible teaching church. Uh, and if they don't know what that is, have them reach out to you or me at you know Instagram old underscore lantern uh old lantern and uh i'll do some research for them and we'll find a good solid bible teaching church uh, yeah. and then just just show up just like you would show up for you know geometry class right yeah. you're just going to show up it's it's a one hour class it's once a week and just listen right you don't have to believe it you're, you assume you're never going to use it but it's a required course Sure. And just see what happens. Just see what happens. Yeah, and and I can I can attest to that. Only what is it? Two, almost two years ago now is is when I I came to faith. But I remember going to one of those churches, and it was so different from the churches I had experienced because it was, yeah. um, people were just you know they weren't dressed in anything in particular, like you said, <laughs> um, and 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 they just were talking and lively and they were raising their hands and, and worship music and like singing as loud as they could and 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 people were just praising and, and there was just a lively energy about it and I think yeah like that that the, you know that's that can be that's that was more appealing to me than what I kind of grew up with and actually faded away from when I was when I was 
um, uh, you know, in high school and a little bit in college until I came to faith. And I remember um, just uh, a memory of I was so afraid to like raise my hands in the worship thing. I was like, whoa, like this is crazy. And then now I'm just like, I can't wait, wait to do that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's it. cool, man. Yeah. So you, you talked about high school, like if a high school kid came up to you. Um, and that kind of leads into the point of like, you, you, you do help coach a basketball team, um, of, of young men and, and at, at a high school and what kind of led you to this and, and what is this and, and what do you, what do you get out of it? in in a sense, well, what led me to it is, um, you know, as a former college player, I, I, I should know a little bit about the sport. Yeah. And what, how it really happened is that my, my son was playing. And uh, he was in the eighth grade, and he was playing basketball. And he, because I'm a hovering, overprotective, this generation parent, I was trying to intersect him. So I thought, wow, if I could be the high school coach, and if he plays high school basketball, then ultimately, uh, I, ultimately, I, I would be able to coach my son because I had coached him, you know, all through elementary and, and middle school, and mm-hmm. so uh, actually all through elementary school, and like for the first year of middle school, and the last two years, you know, they didn't have parents around, so I missed that, and I thought, well, maybe if I could be a, become a high school coach, I could intersect them. So my original intent wasn't to teach basketball. My original intent is to just be with my son. Yeah, that's how. So that's that's what got me into it. And then uh, my son decided not to play um, basketball in high school. Instead, played lacrosse, and I know nothing about lacrosse. Yeah. So uh, I took a year off. Uh, I took a year off and said, "Well, there's no reason for me to be coaching other men's sons." But I took a year off, and then uh, one of my coaches from that job uh, actually knew of an opening at another school. He goes, you know, would you consider coming back? And I said, uh, I don't really know. And then my wife is the one that said, look, why not? You loved it. You know, just because you know, our son's not there, just go back and just have the interview. Anyway, I had the interview, really hit it off with the head coach. and rest is history so that's how i got into it and i love it it's my it's part of my it's my mission field for sure although i i I rarely uh speak of my faith i have an opportunity to live it Mm -hmm. uh, every day in in front of you know 14 to 18 year old boys that are gonna that we're trying to make into fine young men someday so whether they pick up on the spiritual piece or not is not of my concern and actually it's none of my business but uh, I had a chance to get them ready for adulthood and it's it's a privilege Landon yeah yeah and um yeah that that's 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 awesome I remember that's one of the reasons like I was drawn to you as a coach and wanted to get extra workouts in and all that type of stuff is because I saw something different and and like you said like living your faith is, yeah. is well, you know, I've, I've said this. If, if this is from a coaching perspective, if you, if you teach somebody something they value, you might have an opportunity to teach them something valuable. Mm. So, in the context of basketball, you know, a kid wants to learn how to shoot, right? That's what they value. If I can teach them how to shoot a basketball, maybe I'll be able to develop a relationship, and through that relationship, I might be able to teach them something valuable 
outside of basketball. But it always starts with meeting people where they are. What do they value? Can I help them in what they value? And as a coach, hopefully I have kids that are motivated to learn the game of basketball. And, you know, I use that as my platform to uh, invite them into a deeper uh, a deeper learning outside of basketball that they'll mm. be able to take with them, that, you know, yeah. to college and beyond. That's that's beautiful. I mean, and, that, and that's definitely... Uh, what happened with me and you? So I'm very thankful yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah, me too, Landon. Um, so, a couple more questions for you. I know we're uh, we're we're almost yeah. getting to it. Um, but no yeah. So getting back to kind of the uh, the business thing and 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 someone in their in their twenties and and things like that. Um, so what advice would you give someone who just wants to start a business? Start small. Hmm. Start small. Like really, really. And when I say small, small on every aspect of small. Like, for instance, are you renting space? You've broken the rule. Mm. Right? So the moment you say, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to sign a lease, you've broken my rule. Right? Start small. Got it. And so the moment you hire an employee, you've broken my rule. That's not starting starting small. Now you've got payroll to meet. Right? So starting small is... Go online and make a set of business cards. It's nine dollars for five hundred. Hmm. Okay, that that's it. Now you're you're in business, right? Now, so starting small is when I say small, I mean micro. You have to test your idea, and so before I've spent more than nine dollars, I'm going to try to look for a first customer, and that first customer is going to be someone who wants to pay more for something I'm providing than it costs me to provide it. Yeah. The difference between what they pay and what it costs me to provide it is called profit. And mm-hmm. if there's no profit there, then there's no reason to start that business or sign a lease or hire employees. Yeah. So the, the, the advice I'd give to any young entrepreneur is don't do what everybody, all your buddies are doing, right? Oh, I'm in this new start company, and I'm working 80-hour weeks, and, you know, I mean, it, it, that's, it, you know, but I've got a stock option plan, and we're going to be a $100 million company in five years. Run from those opportunities. Start super, super small. Mm-hmm. You have an idea? Test it. Just test the idea and be super, super, super stingy about how you spend money, like insanely stingy. Hmm. Because no business fails that has no expenses. Yeah. The only businesses that fail are businesses that can't make revenue to meet expenses. So you will never fail in business if your expenses are zero. Yeah. But but people don't realize that. They want to, they have a big idea that, you know, is going to touch hundreds of millions of people. And, you know, I'm going to be the CEO of this magnificent corporation. And 99.999% of those ideas never make it. Yeah. So start with a, a really, an idea and start off super small. Yeah. And then, of course, of course, you, you need someone around you for free that will help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's also part of starting small. Yeah. 
Okay, that uh, that's great because I feel like a lot of people these days, especially with seeing all the stuff on sh- social media. Like if you go on YouTube these days, the all the ads are hey. Uh, do you want to make a hundred thousand dollars every month with this right. online business? Yeah. It's like yeah. you know, next, you know, but a lot of people like, that's the thing nowadays is like, they're trying to explode into this huge company Yes, where it's and like, that, and a, yeah. And a lot of that comes from our society where, where you get a lot of things fast. Yeah. Right. And so if I get lots of things fast, I, you know, I, I go online and I can have a pair of shoes to my house tomorrow mm-hmm. without ever leaving my computer. Right? That's Amazon. So we're used to getting things fast in our culture, and I think that's probably a good thing. But when you apply that to business, it's going to increase the probability that you're going to fail. It just it is. And so, you know, you just have to go really, really, really small and really slow. Yeah. And and that would be that would be my, I think that would be my number one advice. And then I guess the only other thing I'd say about that is expect to fail, expect to fail, and and all your failures are good. Mm. There's just all of those are good. I I I've learned so little from success, and so much more from failure. I mean, uh, you know, like ten x more from my failures. Yeah. The problem with success is it's hard to learn from it because because you succeeded there's nothing there's nothing really to camp on there's nothing really to to ruminate on when you're succeeding other than basking in the joy of your success mm-hmm. whereas when you fail man it's it you want to do a postmortem on a failure like god how did that happen yeah and in, in that rehearsal of your mistakes, that's where the learning is happening. So, yeah, go go small, go you know, go really simple, go really slow, and and expect failure. Failure is a good thing, and just make sure you realize that's that's the learning. Like when you miss a shot, when you miss a shot, that's the greatest thing in the world because it's like, okay, that went left. What did I do with my shoulder that made the ball drift left? Okay, I over rotated my shoulder. Mm-hmm. That's all the good stuff. Making a shot just tells you, okay, good. Just like that, just like that, just like that, just like that. Mm-hmm. But you're not thinking about what the just like that is because there's like 84 steps in the just like that. Yeah. But it's the misses that teach you. So it's true in basketball, it's true in business. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And, and I think something that came to mind when you were saying that stuff is when you're when you're building a house, like, you know, a, a good a good um, thing to think about is if I just lay a brick a day, the house is eventually going to get built. I, I don't want to do too much at one time, like do the f- whole foundation in one day and then do all the bricks by 12 by 12 p.m. And then, you know, have the roof on, you know, that's just not really how it works, like a brick a day. And you'll eventually yep. get there. And then it'll be sturdy yep. because you're going to lay every brick perfectly because it's your only brick for the day. Yep. So that, that that's it's, what came to mind, yeah. Dude, but that, dude, that's so counterculture, though. I know, I know. Right? And, and, it, and people have to understand that, that, you know, if you do it the way the culture says to do it, you may succeed. But your odds of success are probably pretty close to, you know, being a 14-year-old ninth grader in high school and becoming an NBA starting player. Yeah. It does happen. That NBA, that guy that's 
you know, starting in the NBA. He was one day a ninth grader, right? Yep. So it does happen, but the odds of it are astronomically low. Yeah. Right? The failure rate for businesses is like 80%. It's insane. Mm-hmm. 80% is the fail rate. And of the 20% that make it, I, I would guess within 10 years, of the 20% that make it, more than half of those are gone. So it's, you know, it's it's a very, very tough business mm-hmm. to be your own boss. But, you know, I, I, I liked it. It was, I was kind of made for it because um, I, I never wanted to rely on someone else for my paycheck. That, that seemed really scary to me and I'd rather rely on myself. So for some people, it's a perfect fit for other people. They, they need to get a W-2 and work for somebody else. Yeah. And I think it's each individual to find out, you know, who they are and what they're about. Yep. Yep. That's good. Um, so last thing, uh, you probably touched on it, um, quite a bit actually, but if you, if you had anything to say, um, what advice would you give to someone who's in their twenties, uh, right now? Find a mentor. Hmm. Absolutely, find a mentor. And your mom and dad and your aunt and uncle, anybody related to you by blood or by marriage doesn't count. Okay. Those people are easy to get, right? Those are really easy gets for you. Because you could just pick up the phone and call Uncle Tom and, you know, there you go. Now you have a mentor. Um, Find a mentor, someone unrelated to you that you've spent, you've figured out somehow to get FaceTime with them. And they've seen something in you that they want to help develop, right? Those people don't cost a dime. They don't cost you anything, right? They're vested in you. And number three, probably the most important thing, they're not trying to please you like, mm. like a relative might, yeah. right? They're actually trying to develop you. So they'll tell you things that are hard to hear because you matter to them in ways that, your family may not have the objectivity to say or do with you. So my number one thing is find a mentor. And remember, mentors don't find you. You have to actually go find them. You have to network your way into someone that's further down a path that you want to explore. Yeah. And that person kind of becomes a guide for you, right? But it's, it's up to you to actually go out and cultivate that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of, of having a mentor who's not related to you. Just like, like me and you is like one of the reasons that I'm here today and, and, and signing a pro contract to play overseas is because a lot of the time you told me stuff that I did not want to hear, but, but I, but I learned to be like, that's the stuff that's, I need, I I want to start hearing that more because then I can start improving. And and, yeah. and that's true in any profession or, or in life. And I think that's a beautiful thing is when you have someone who can be straight up and be like, look, like, dude, you suck in this area and you yeah. need to, you need to fix it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think as, as a relative, especially a parent, anybody that's related to you, when they see you uncomfortable, there's going to be a natural reflex in our, in our society today to comfort them. Mm. And in that comforting, we unwittingly are enabling them. And, yeah. and whereas a mentor is not that concerned about your comfort. In fact, just the opposite. They're concerned about your character. Mm. Right. And so they're all about moving you forward. 
And that's why I'm saying a really good uh, mentor with some gray hair is, is a really great asset for someone in their 20s. But you've got, you got to go find them because those people are probably busy and you're going to have to make an impression on them. I would even tell you that a mentor is probably more important than your first job. Because mm. chances are the mentor is probably going to help you get your first job. But your first job may not help you get a mentor. Yeah, so that's true. I, I would encourage I would encourage someone in their priority, you know, if you're in your system, right, where you're looking at, you know, <laughs> yeah. what are my responsibilities today and then how do I want to prioritize, I would put finding a mentor right up there at top. Yeah, got it, got it. Um, and, and, and would you say anything about the friends that people choose? Yeah, there's a, my sister says a, a statement. My sister says that if you take a white glove and put it in mud, it doesn't make the mud glovey. Hmm. And, and that's kind of a, a interesting visual. Um, the Bible says that bad character corrupts good. And, you know, you would think it's just the opposite. You would think good character would influence bad character. But, mm-hmm. you know, that white glove, if you put it in mud, it, the, the glove gets muddy. The mud doesn't get glovey. Yeah. Right. And so I would say the company you keep is like, is really, really important. Of course, as a high school coach, I see it, right? I can tell when a kid's, how a kid's going to do by the company that they keep. If they're surrounding themselves with the right kind of people, magically, the bad choices aren't going to be offered in that group. Yeah. And if they surround themselves with the wrong group, every choice is going to be a bad choice. Because it's just like what they do, yeah. Yeah, I think because that's what they do. So, yeah, the company you keep is really important. And it's hard for a high school kid to to realize I'm better alone than with that group of people. Mm. But I think there's such a strong need to belong. I think a lot of kids settle for the wrong group because maybe it's too hard to find a group that is is positive for them. Yeah, And, and I think... Um, you know, that, that's kind of something that I struggled with in high school was because my basketball schedule always prevented me from hanging out with a certain group because they were just out much later and doing things that would affect my performance on the court the next day, whether it be a game practice or whatever. And that's why I think it was just such a gift to have that extreme motivation in basketball because it, and granted, I didn't make every decision perfect, obviously, you know, but I'm like, I wasn't super tight with that group of people and I didn't do everything that they did because I had, you know, my coaches to the expectations to live up to my own expectations. You know, I wanted to get better. I wanted to get into college with this. So it kind of kept me on that thing. And if there's any kids out there who are struggling and wanting to belong, you know, just realize, like like Coach said, like it, it's a little bit, it's better to, to kind of be on your own for a while and then find a niche of people that um, kind of are doing what, exactly what you're doing, going where you want to go, because you don't, you don't want to surround yourself with a group of people who are going a complete opposite direction, or they're going to the left and you're going to the right. So Absolutely. I, yeah, so I, I think that that's something that I learned in high school and then going into college and and just like he said, and I think that that's super important along with uh, 
along with finding a mentor. And uh, do you, any uh, any last words or, or, or comments before we wrap up the podcast? You know, Landon, I think all I would say to your listeners is that um, life is life is better if you're not the biggest part of it. Mm. Right? Life's just better if you're not the biggest part of it. You'll find that. I think I think people will find that when there's something bigger than you, life is, is so much better. Yeah. And, and that's counterculture because the the world is telling us that we're the most important thing in the world. Our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our pleasures, you know, everything about us is the most important. That's what culture and society is telling us. But you're going to find the most purpose in your life when you wake up one day and realize, wow, I'm not... I'm not the biggest part of my life. This is, whatever this is. is a, It's a hobby. It's a craft. It's your faith. It's a, a friendship, a relationship, right? This is more important to me than me. Mm-hmm. And once you, once you stumble upon that way of living, life is going to come at you very different. Success is going to be way less important to you, and con- connection is going to be way more important to you. Yeah. Serving is serving others is going to be way more important to you than getting what you can out of others. And life just takes on a different color when when there's something greater than you in it. So I guess that's yep. And I would say the color. Know, I, I lived so many decades the other way. Yeah. I'm just you know, I've turned this corner the last fifteen years where I'm giving myself away. Yeah. And it's in the giving of yourself it's the give when you give yourself away you actually find yourself wow. and, and when you're trying to make yourself bigger you're actually losing yourself hmm. so that's, that, that's what i've learned that's that, what i've learned so far i still have more to learn yeah but that, that's what i've learned so far after 63 years that's beautiful that's beautiful well coach i, I appreciate you so so much hopping on this uh this podcast and um, for for those who for those who've listened this far, I really appreciate you. I hope you got something out of this. I hope you related to this in some way. Um, and and this guy has taught me so so much throughout the years. And um, I'm just very thankful for him and, and that he was able to come today. And and again, I, I really hope that you related to to this and you could take a nugget of this information and implement it in your life. And hope hopefully. Be happier, more joyful, um, and also uncomfortable. <laughs> so, <laughs> Coach, I, again, I appreciate you, and uh, and uh, that uh, that that wraps up episode four, guys. So I really appreciate it, and uh, tune in next week. Thanks, Landon. I love you, man. Love you too.